Hello and welcome to the Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing podcast that brings together some of the world's most innovative thinkers to weigh in on matters concerning the future of ourselves and our planet, and to discuss the future not as something to be predicted, but to be created. In each episode, your hosts, Erwin Laszlo and Frederick Tsao, and moderator Nora Cesar will converse with guests from numerous disciplines to help us navigate a new worldview which derives its wisdom from a synthesis of ancient and modern, East and West, science and spirituality. From these seemingly divergent perspectives, we will demonstrate how we can create a new narrative and usher in the dawn of a better era. Welcome everyone. Today's episode will be focusing on a very special thing. This is indigenous beliefs. Our guest is Marty Spiegelman. Please allow me to introduce her. Marty Spiegelman is an executive mentor, professional development advisor, and worldwide speaker. She is the founder of the Precision Consciousness Training, technologies of consciousness for today's leaders, changemakers, and visionaries. Marty has combined 49 years of business experience with her training in the sciences, graphic design, and indigenous technologies of consciousness in order to create a modern methodology for mastering full consciousness at all scales, individual, organizational, societal, and global. Marty holds a BA in biochemistry from Harvard and an MFA in graphic design from Yale Design School. She also has advanced training in psychology, anthropology, and neuropsychology. And she's initiated into shamanic lineages in Peru, West Africa, and the Himalayas. Marty serves as the director of communications on the board of the Andean Research Institute. Drawing on physics, neurobiology, and our innate human capacity to create, evolve, and thrive, Marty brings the extraordinary principles of precision consciousness to awakening leaders in all fields, the changemakers and visionaries who are striving to take business, community building, and human endeavor to new levels of conscious success in the 21st century and beyond. Thank you for being here, Marty. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. And please allow me to introduce our hosts, Erwin Laszlo and Fred Zhao. Erwin, thank you for being here. Our two-time Nobel Peace Prize nominee, world-renowned philosopher and system scientist, author or co-author of over 106 books, founder of the Laszlo Institute of New Paradigm Research and the Club of Budapest recipient of multiple honors and awards like the Goy Peace Prize, the Assisi Mandirov Peace Prize, and the Luxembourg Peace Prize. And Frederick Tsao, business leader, futurist, practitioner of Eastern wisdom and Western science, author, chairman of the Family Business Network's Council of Wisdom, and founder of the prestigious Octave Institute, fusing ancient wisdom and quantum science as a platform for people to achieve a purposeful life, mindfully lived at new levels of consciousness and freedom. So welcome everyone. I would like to manage today's session first, talking about the indigenous beliefs, specifically shamanism with Marty, but I would like to invite in first Irvin and then Fred, to set the stage for this very special episode. Irvin? Oh, Nora, thank you for this nice, wonderful introduction. <clears throat> Setting the stage, I would say, the stage for me today is one of listening and learning. I have the greatest admiration for indigenous wisdom, indigenous beliefs that are really elements of wisdom. I have a hunch that many of our ills in the contemporary world arise because we have left behind our natural inclination, our natural adaptability, natural accessibility for indigenous, that is, natural thought, natural beings, existence, 
and beliefs. How the ancient and so-called indigenous people, or indigenous writer, I would say so-called primitive, they're not primitive, obviously, but indigenous, how these people are living and what is guiding them on the planet holds, I believe, a great lesson for us as we seek to return from our excessively individualistic and separatist and domination-oriented ways of thinking and believing ourselves being master, masters of the world. We need to return. And I look forward to learning from Marty and in his conversation with Fred to how this, what this belief is, indigenous beliefs really are, what lessons do they hold and perhaps then say a few words about how we could best access them. So I want to hand over the, the, the floor to Marty and to Fred to follow this discussion that I will follow with great attention. Thank you, Erwin. Fred? Hi, um, Monty. Um, in the age of well-being and happiness, uh, this era is one of awakening. Perhaps it is not so much a belief system, a belief system of faith, but rather a direct experience of spirituality, of awakening by connecting ourselves. This is a very special era uh, because the energy of nature by itself has evolved from the universe that human being will awaken naturally. In this natural awakening, we take stock of the evolutionary history of humanity uh, and of spirituality based on whether seeking oneness with nature or a faith-based belief system to one that is directly experiencing spirituality, awakening, connecting ourselves. So it would be very interesting to hear Marty's um, uh, work, which is taking stock of across the time of evolution to today and how uh, she sees uh, this era and why she does what she does and what is the insight, Marty, that you derive from your work. Thank you. Beautifully said, Fred, thank you. Marty, stage is yours. Oh, thank you. And uh, thank you, Fred and, and Erwin, for your beautiful comments. Um, you know, what? one of the first things I had thought of to say is that uh, this thing that we call shamanism is not about beliefs. It is exactly what Fred said. It's about experiencing the world directly through the senses. And um, I also say most often to people that I actually don't like the term shamanism and I don't like the term shaman. We've turned it into a sort of generalized word, like the word Kleenex used to be a brand name and now it's the name of an object. And what I teach my students is that in every culture before modern times, there were elders whose job was to tend to steward the consciousness of their people, to steward their connection, not just to one another, but to the land, not just to the land, but to the stars, literally, to our place in the universe. And they would tend the land, tend the stars, tend all of the wisdom of their lineages in order to evolve it, to evolve well-being, to evolve collectivity, to evolve thriving. And in each culture, these people had certain names. In northern Siberia, they used to be called chaman, which means the keeper of the fire. Um, in northwestern Tibet, there are the Tibetan Pows. There are a few of them left. In South America, there are Altamasayox, Pampamasayox, Yachaks, Pacos. In West Africa, they don't really have a name that's spoken because they're elders. So they're simply called elder, and then you speak their name. And these respect names, I think, are really good to know. And I think we need a respect name for those in our modern cultures who are willing to step up and become fully conscious, because that is really what the what the shaman, the spiritual leader is, is the, the fully conscious steward of thriving for their people. And 
so it's a very, very big topic. So let me tell you a little bit about how I got into this. Um, I started off in biochemistry, as, as Nora said. And um, when I was very young, I had a very famous scientist father. And so that's all I knew, right? And so I followed in his footsteps and I was very shy. And I just said, okay, that's, that's something I could do. So I go to Harvard and I try it out. And I found that the, the people who were my peers really didn't know the world. They weren't like my father's generation of scientists who were real visionaries. I saw my father's generation really imagine the universe and imagine what could be and explore through experience what could be. And more and more science came to be somebody had an idea or an experience and they would say, <clears throat> I think I just had that experience with this element. Now I have to prove it to myself. And I had, I was very young, but I had this sense that in general, people were disconnecting from experience itself. And so I jumped ship <laughs> and I had a, a momentary sort of magical opportunity to enter Yale Design School. And for some reason they took me and I had a, a glorious 20 year career in graphic design, running my business in San Francisco. And I helped to bring the Macintosh onto the market as a design tool and all this stuff. So 20 years pass and I'm ready to move to another career, but I have begun to realize that learning to be a designer, I learned to make the invisible world visible, which is another job of the so-called shaman the elder tending consciousness, because it's the invisible forces, larger forces of the universe. Just think about weather. Larger forces shape our world and bring us into being. And if we are in relationship with those larger forces, we thrive. If we're not in relationship with those forces, well, you got the world we have today, right? And so I threw aside my design business and I started studying energy healing and visionary craniosacral work. And I started to teach these things. And during that time, and I can only credit spirit for this, if I could say that in this moment, I received invitations to study with indigenous masters on three different continents. And no longer running a corporation, I had some time on my hands. <laughs> so I said yes to everything. And within a few years, I had my first levels of initiation directly from indigenous masters. So this was not an Americanized version. And um, I kept teaching and I kept going for levels of initiation. And through that process, everything I received, I passed on to my students. And over time, here's what evolved. The main work and the ongoing work that I do now is in the Americas, in particular in South America. And what is happening there is there is a transmission of lineage, an authentic transmission of lineage, and it is quite profound. I didn't experience that on any other continent. Um, we There's a small group of us who are being asked to carry the wisdom of the South American lineages into the modern world, because this is what we need. And so I kept studying and I had all this science and design and all these things swirling in my head. And gradually over time, what I realized about the wisdom of South America is it is everywhere the organizing principles, as they call them, the main principles that organize consciousness itself are visible in every tradition, every original human lineage. And I have come to understand that instead of ancient knowledge and modern knowledge, I now call it original human wisdom. It belongs to everyone. Right. And everything we seek in the modern world, we're seeking community, we're seeking love, we're seeking a better way to produce um, benefits for people, not just monetary profit, but enough food for people, enough shelter, right, enough caring and enough self-care. The organizing principles, as we find them in South America, when our awareness is organized by these principles, that's exactly the outcome. 
we become people who love. We become people who are present and connected. We become conduits for the creation of all stages of thriving. And so I'm learning this and they're telling me this. And then I have this further revelation that the universe itself, I mean, if we talk to a cosmometrist, they'll say something like consciousness is the flow of energy and information throughout the universe, right? And, and I started to realize that this flow of energy and information, some people call God, some people call there are names all over the world and some cultures don't name it, right? But that flow itself, when it flows through any living system, organizes that system by these core principles. And in South America, they hold this wisdom in terms of energy. So there aren't complicated deities that it's hard for Western people to understand. Um, and it's really in terms of energy and physics, it's really easy for modern people to, to tap into this. And so I continue to um, teach people and initiate people and teach them these principles. And I'll mention a few of them in a minute. Um, and then there was one moment when I was um, beginning to uh, try to expand my work because I noticed that people who are only interested in what we call shamanism, didn't have a good relationship with thriving. There are a lot of people who wanted to shake a rattle and light some incense. And I don't mean to insult anybody, but I want to make this clear that if we only want to copy an indigenous culture, that isn't it, right? And then they worry about appropriating a culture. And, and so it became clearer and clearer to me that what we need to do is to become the wisdom, not copy it. Yeah. And so for modern people, this is really tough because the next thing that came clear to me is that if I'm going to be organized by, let's take the first two principles. The first one in the Quechua language is called Pacha, and it means uh, a coordinate in space time. But if I'm organized by Pacha, I am completely present in the moment, connected to the world, connected to all of you via Zoom, completely here with no agenda, no attachments, no judgments, available, negotiable, let's do something, yeah. No ego defenses. In order to attain this state, I have to get my awareness off myself and out into the world. And then I have to let the world fill me. So it's different than a contemplative practice where we empty ourselves for a different purpose. Full consciousness is this state of being completely wired, connected, and filled with the world, prepared to be the conduit for consciousness to create through us. And this is I how love I love that, Marty. Uh, I just want to invite Urban in for a, a quick oh, yeah, uh, sure. comment yeah. because I can see he has something to say. Excellent. You're, you're talking about me. No, yes. Marty, <laughs> I think what you're just now saying is absolutely precious. It's absolutely what we need. We have to become that oneness with the world around us, not learn it and intellectualize it. But how to really become that? I think in moments of inspiration, whether it's by writing or by music, I have felt this becoming one, becoming the the the, the evolutionary impetus. I talk I talk about I call it that uh, the evolutionary mm -hmm. tractor, which is in the world, and I think this is what is missing that we have disregarded that, mm -hmm. that we have failed to live by that, uh, to be aligned with it. Whatever mm -hmm. word you use is to be to to be to become part of it, yeah. and really becoming it, become the change that you want to see in the world. Gandhi said, "You know, mm -hmm. it seems to me that what you're saying is that indigenous cultures in South America and possibly elsewhere also are 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 aligned on this whole question that we need to become the world mm -hmm. or oneness with the world." How to do this? Okay, you mentioned that this emptying that the Eastern 
traditions practice is not the way forward. Do we really have to join a, 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 a shamanic tribe? Do we have to go there like you have done there? Yeah. Or how can we do that? What are the ways to a modern people for that critical mass that we so desperately need to aspire to becoming to becoming a little more spiritual, more deep, and looking at what the indigenous people have called their new view of the world, which was themselves, not a view that they learned, but the view that they experienced, I believe. So how do we do this? What is your advice, Marty? What is the best way that we can try our best to become the wisdom that indigenous people help hand to us? Yeah. Thank you for asking that question. No, we do not all need to join a tribe, an indigenous tribe, <laughs> not at all. Uh, so this is really where, where my work has evolved because I, I know that very few people will have the privileges that I've had to work directly with the elders. But what I discovered, and this is only by whatever the spirits have done with me in my life path, I knew a little bit of neurophysiology. What I discovered listening to the elders and being trained myself is that Western people use awareness in a very different way than humans used to use awareness. And it's a kind of a long story, but to see if I can make it short here. What happens in Western culture, and we've been developing this over 2000 years, is we have gradually withdrawn our awareness of the world around us and taken it inside the human organism. And there's nothing wrong with that per se. We, we were going to explore the human body, the nervous system, the mind. Uh, of course we would do that. But what happened, and I'm speaking in general terms at a collective level, what happened was as we withdrew awareness from the world around us and started to go inside, our awareness was drawn into a very small portion of the brain that is designed to process information in a linear fashion. It has a job description. It's supposed to do what it's supposed to do, but it's supposed to remain in connection with the rest of the brain, which is most of the brain, that is processing sensory information 24-7, taking it in, processing it, storing it, cross-referencing it, and then creating maps of action that it sends to the linear part of the brain. And we're supposed to be in 100% consciousness. I'm just speaking at the level of the physical body. And if we're in 100% consciousness, we know the world around us. We are informed. We can feel the weather coming. We, we have a very good sense of um, the invisible part of life as well as the visible part of life. We're negotiable. All these things we're looking for. But if we inadvertently are trained to keep our awareness in the linear portion, we end up with a worldview that is linear. And this portion of the brain processes information in an either or fashion, in a causal fashion. And so we are always working that map, getting from A to B, and we live life with the question, am I there yet? Is it this one or this one? If I go from point A to point B on my map, if there's a problem, I might have B prime in the map, but I can't choose both of those things. I have to choose one thing or the other. I hope you can feel that I'm describing the world we are in. I can only, if I'm in this tiny part of my brain, I only choose one thing. I can't choose you and me, and I'm going to choose me. And the ego gets highly defended and defensive. And this has rippled through cultures. And so we have cultures against one another, countries against one another. You know, I don't need to describe the whole mess. So here's how I'm, I begin to help people shift. And this is a, it's a very big, deep process. Um, but the answer is to put your awareness into nature. The answer is to teach yourself like the elders have always taught the children in human cultures, which is as to take them into nature and teach them the bird song, teach them to feel the rhythm of the earth, teach them the cycles of the sun, teach them to see the reflection of the coastline off the clouds so you know when the ice is melted and you can launch the boats to hunt. 
Yeah. Teach them to know the world the way the Greenland elders in 1950 knew that the ice was already melting. Imagine if we knew the world that way because our awareness was in the world collecting data and we allowed that data to inform us. Nothing to analyze because it's immediate knowledge, it's, it's experiential knowledge, and it's much more accurate and much more intricate than anything we can do with our thinking minds. Yeah. And so the process for us, here's how I start my students in the first year of training, the entire first year is given over to, we can call them loosely indigenous practices of awareness, taking people into nature, using the most ancient practices I've been given to retune how I connect to the world and allow the world to flow into me. There isn't any causality there. It's pure experience. Can you be in the pure experience of the world without thinking? And I find Western people who want this training, it takes them about three years to make the shift. So we start with a total year dedicated to that. And every, I have to remind you, I'm teaching the leaders. So this is not necessarily for everybody. So um, if I'm an ordinary person, and I know the world could be different, and I want it to be different, and I don't know what to do, and I have Irwin's question, how do I do this? I could say it's not about doing, it's about changing how you be, and that's just more words. So I would say it's really very simple. Step out your door and notice through your senses anything and remember it through the day. Step out your door between your door and your car. Get the scent of the world and remember that through your day. As you get more used to remembering to pay attention to nature, use the sight that you have, use the hearing that you have, use the olfactory and gustatory sense that you have. Notice the textures, notice shapes, notice combinations of things. Notice the color green and find 10 different colors of green in half a minute and close your eyes and remember them. A little bit of attention on nature every single day will change you. It will change anybody. And this practice of knowing the world through the senses, this is actually the original meaning of the word perception. If we go back to our own Latin and Greek roots of that word, to perceive means to know the world through the senses. And that is instant knowing. You think about putting your hand on a hot stove, you don't have to sit and analyze the temperature before you know whether it's too hot for your hand. You know immediately, you respond immediately. It's easy, right? Imagine living all aspects of your life with that ease, with that amount of knowledge. Yeah. And so this little bit of awareness into nature, keeping your awareness off of yourself, and tracking, do you sometimes say, oh, I like that, or I think that's beautiful, or that makes me happy? The next step of this is to distinguish between our emotional responses and what we're responding to. If my awareness is totally wrapped around my ego structure, I can't tell the difference. And so my emotions come become my experience, and my emotions become the subject of the conversation. And if you've ever had that happen to you, you know that's real trouble. <laughs> and so it's very important to distinguish between the thing in nature that makes you happy and your response of happiness. That's the next unpeeling, unfurling of our consciousness. And for most people, uh, that's enough to really change your life. I've so run introductory it, courses where people are changed within a week of that practice. So how long have you been on your, uh, well, I don't want to say shamanic journey because you said it's not the right word. How long mm -hmm. have you been practicing? Well, I take this back to pretty much when I was two years old. Um, I used to lie awake in bed this is my earliest memory at night and try to find the edge of the universe because everyone said there was an edge and 
I thought that was sort of puzzling. <laughs> and so I would imagine my way to the edge of the universe. And I found a membrane all the time. I found a membrane and I tried to imagine nothing beyond that. And I couldn't imagine nothing. So I would punch through it and there was always more universe. So I think somehow that was actually the beginning. Um, the next point in my life that I would identify as the beginning is when I was 29 years old and I realized I needed a mentor. I had, I was engaged in life one way and everybody else was living another way and I didn't understand that. So I found a wonderful mentor who uh, helped me understand myself and, and life in general. And um, then the actual journey into uh, shamanism and all the things that I do now began when I gave up my design business. And because I live in California, if you have a midlife crisis, you go get energy healing. And so, <laughs> so going to get energy healing uh, and finding uh, this wonderful Scottish fellow who taught me visionary craniosacral work, that was really the beginning of visionary work and and beginning to understand how human consciousness works with universal consciousness because it really is one consciousness and one of the most important things for humans is we have a very important job description and every culture understands this job description up until modern times but we are here to be stewards of consciousness itself and we are here to be the conduits of creation the creation of life and thriving and the evolution of consciousness itself. And we have a very unique kind of consciousness. Again, all indigenous cultures understand this. They may have different terms and symbols and so on, but at the core of every culture is this same understanding of the human job description, the requirement that we be wired into the world, aware of the world, informed by the world, and that we be the caretakers, not only of our consciousness, but of the land that we belong to, right? This is just every, everywhere. And so this became more and more um, apparent to me as I got more deeply initiated. And I think one of the things that popped me onto the world stage was realizing that um, people who were interested in spirituality weren't interested in thriving. I, I was touching on that a few moments ago. Um, somehow the idea of being a shaman was related to uh, not needing anything. And I realized that that's just a complete Western misperception. And so I realized, oh, my God, this is what business needs. Businesses want to help the planet. They they want more profit. They're trying. To, there was that period where everybody was interested in in the three bottom line and four bottom line model of business plans. So we, we include the planet and people and all that stuff. And I thought, no, what they really are looking for is consciousness. And there there are many traditions as well as um, some segments of Western science that have discovered and rediscovered that we have a memory in our bodies in our cells, in our protoplasm, we have a memory of full consciousness. We have a memory of our capacity to be connected to the world. That's our nature. It isn't isolationism. It isn't hyper-individuation. It's remembering we belong to the world as well as to one another. And this is what uh, indigenous wisdom is. So I don't see indigenous wisdom as ancient. I don't see it as different. It's original human wisdom that is waking up in everyone. And from my perspective and my experience for modern people, waking up our awareness and through the magic of awareness being connected into the world again, that is the key. But talking about business and consciousness, Fred. <laughs> Brad is our business leader, philosopher. Um, so please share your thoughts with us. Gosh, I said it's very fascinating. And when I was listening, I'm contemplating what those words are saying to me. And, and it comes to my consciousness, my thought that, you know, um, uh, when there was a tsunami and, and Phuket, 
all the animals running inland and all the humans are running to the peaches. So in some way, it is funny because Mm -hmm. uh, when your intentions are not to sense and you're lost into your desires, your attention goes there. Mm -hmm. And uh, human intentions are being drawn in many human desires and they, they lost the natural sensing capability. Yeah. yeah. Moment to moment, um, two billion bytes of information just coming through our eyes, not to say the whole integrated information that's flowing through us. Yeah. Uh, but we are probably choosing 2,000 bytes and keep processing the same way. So a child to keep moving around, they're processing 2,000 bytes continuously. So the 2 billion bytes that are coming in mm-hmm. uh, have a much better capacity to sense. Yeah. And yeah. if you integrated the senses, all your senses into one, if your intention is to sense, which our animals are, are mm-hmm. uh, instinctively do, yeah. human beings start losing its sensing capability. And of course, our sensing are more than just the uh, the 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 uh, the five senses and other senses, because we are spirit, mind, body being, are reflecting all those information flowing through, and therefore our body will be able to sense more and more and more and more and more, and uh, that comes sixth and seventh and eighth and whatever sense that comes with it. Um, and it's fascinating to hear. Um, the bow of emptiness is fullness. Mm-hmm. Mm. When you empty your bow of your intentions, yeah. uh, other than intention to sense, which is where uh, most animals are built by instinct to sense, then human being do not sense. Yeah, And therefore, the bow is full with other things from mm-hmm. your drawn away intentions and attentions, and you're drawn away from your sensing, the earth sensing every information that otherwise instinctively you built to sense. And it's fascinating, uh, the uh, modality of coming to sense again, and just small moments of practice, where you Mm -hmm. open your door, you sense, because otherwise, other attention takes us, and our habits takes us away to other things. Open the door, the car, sense. So at least for maybe 10 minutes, you're sensing. Mm-hmm. And try to hold on to the senses of information that told you. And then you will be able to see differently yeah. and sense differently, even with those 10 minutes of stop and allow it to fill with the senses. And it's really interesting, uh, those, those, uh, those words, when I actually sense the words it's almost like instructions to sense yeah 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 and um, i will have a question um we are all born uh with certain beacon like the existential question that keep reminding us to sense and understand that we're here to be the steward Mm -hmm. of consciousness to create uh and how would you describe your understanding of this existential question number one where we came from who are who am i and what i'm here to do and where would i go those kinds of existing questions and the conscience of the consciousness the conscience for us to know right thing to do wrong thing to do Mm-hmm. And uh, and the whole inbuilt system for humanity. I would like to hear, uh, after practicing sensing, how you would ask those inherent questions of beacon to go home uh, after years of practice from senses to conclude those existential and conscient beacons that are inbuilt in us. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Oh, thank you for that. Uh, I have a strange answer for you. After years of practice and initiation in these original traditions, I don't have those questions. There is no need to ask them. Yes, because you you know already, right? Well, 
We could say that. Um, I think what happens is the experience of being part of the larger system dissolves the existential approach that Western cultures have kind of fallen into in life. So I am wired into, literally, I have initiations that wire me into the planet and into constellations and all these things that would sound strange to most people. But my experience moment to moment is being spoken into being. And some of that speech literally comes from the stars. And some of it comes from the earth. And some of it comes from mountains that I have connections to. Uh, some of it comes from, a lot of it comes from the literal geography where I was born. Um, and this is what develops. I, I don't even, if I'm working with students in the long-term long program, I don't have to explain this to them. They start to describe it to me. And so it begins to be an experience rather than an idea or an explanation, an experience of being um gifted life moment to moment and you know it's coming from large immeasurable indescribable forces but you come to know those forces and you are known by them and you don't have to ask the question anymore so you have more of yourself you have all of yourself all of your life force all of your awareness or attention for living and it becomes much, much easier. So you you are part of the, the pulse of the universe. You are a, a cell in a huge living organism. And and for for humans, especially today, for humans, it it seems to wake up a sense of belonging, a sense of everything's really okay, a sense of I'm actually worth something and I'm supposed to be here. And so I don't need the existential question anymore. Th those questions. Um, I think are are deep in in modern consciousness because we've separated over it, really I think over two thousand plus years we have separated from the system of life um, one little step at a time until it's reached a kind of critical point in the world we live in today. But but this is my experience and and as I said. If I have somebody even in a short-term training and I give them the oldest, well, even some of these little exercises, but the oldest exercise in the world for for training consciousness is to be uh, taken out into some wild place or even a slightly wild piece of a park. And you're, you sit down and you stay in that place and experience your whole surroundings through your senses without thinking. And in original traditions, you'd have to do that 24 hours at a time. But for modern people, they might make it an hour. <laughs> but learning to, to do that, what you experience is you are part of it. That separation that is so inherent in modern consciousness dissolves as the world fills you up and your body wakes up to the memory that you're part of this and it's constantly being spoken into being completely shifts the experience of life and makes it easier to live and thrive in the world that we have. This is very interesting. I'd like to just follow up that uh, very close to Taoist practice where you actually start practicing. And you know that Chinese believe everything is qi, which is energy. Mm -hmm. So when you practice, you lost an empty your body of or empty your mind and uh, the intention to be one, then the chi would move. So when you're doing the chi gong, it's not you moving, it's the chi moving, and you become part of the chi moving. It's almost like a dance in a trance. A, a little so, bit, but so that's mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. So there's um these um and of course. A Taoist practice came from long time ago, 10, 20, 30,000 years ago. Um, it sounds very similar into that emptiness uh, where well, you actually not. become chi itself. Yeah. But it's yeah, not it, because you're full. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. It's full really information. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's really different. And the contemplative traditions rose out of these earlier traditions that, that I've been initiated into. So it's an evolution. 
the the earliest exercise it's called being in a place well that sitting that i just described to you the the um, outcome of that exercise is as you just said is there's no emptying whatsoever you are filled with the world and filled with the awareness of your connection and your part in it you are informed as to your value your function your presence and how important it is you learn moment to moment to moment and the what's being um exchanged here is instead of thinking and trying to figure things out after the fact you are informed in the moment you know via experience so sensing it is what takes the place of thinking in the human yeah. brain thinking is after the fact of experience and so there's a lag time and the original, the way humans used to live was in direct relationship to the world. That's how they knew everything. If they wanted water, they asked the earth where the water was. If they wanted to know when to plant, they asked their connection into the winds and the weathers and how they read the planet and they knew precisely. Um, we've lost that because we rely on thinking, which is after the fact of experience. Yeah. So so it, it's this is different it's a bit older um and it has to do with consciousness and and uh, kind of on the runway uh on the fly living and and relating and creating the contemplative traditions i think have another um, they rose out of another um, desire and serve a different purpose but if we go back to the earliest uh, records we have of how humans thrived and what their consciousness was like that's where where my uh trainings come from that's that's how i connect into the world so i hope that's not confusing they, no know, no the no i'm just uh, uh no framing of work for me to respond but i experience um and what comes to my consciousness is very similar to what the Taoist tradition is about, yes, which has been yeah. for a long, long time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. These these traditions are very, very old. Yeah. And um, and there are some differences and it's um, they're all good. They're all useful. Uh, I just have these particular distinctions that I make when I'm training people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, you know, these are before words, uh, before writing yeah. before this like long yes. long time yeah. yes yeah yeah that's important and i think it's another entire conversation the development of yes. language um shifted human consciousness and shifted how we relate uh, and the written word shifted us again and these are really important moments to to uh, go back and study and learn from because they're they're part of who we are now mm -hmm. yeah yeah. Well, I just want to follow up on uh, what Fred was mentioning, um, hmm. because all civilizations have had elders, right? That, that's, hmm. that's clear. And they were the people with the wisdom. Hmm. So if we think about how we think about consciousness in different parts of the world, Maybe it's all the same, but they have little tweaks here and there. So the question is, why did that happen? Maybe that's because of the culture or the language, as you mentioned, or the writing. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Well, my understanding of this is that uh, humans have this brilliant thing called the imagination. That's our word for it, right? And what I've observed is... Um, that, as I said before, the principles are the same. Even if Fred and I go back to talking about that extraordinary Taoist tradition, which is so ancient, or any of the ancient traditions I'm uh, engaged in, the principles are the same. We we hear it, Fred and I are hearing it, talking to one another, right? But people's experience uh, of the geography, literally the land where they're living. There's different energies if I'm in the Himalayas than if I'm in West Africa than if I'm in the Andes. And if you study the geology of these lands, uh, the movement of the lands, the forces that shape the lands, how those lands put people in relationship with the winds and the weathers and the waters and the skies, this forms... Uh, a different image in the imagination, right? 
and it forms a different understanding, a different um, uh, mythic level metaphor of the force. So I have certain gods in one place and a certain nameless thing in another place, but it's really all coming from the way the geographies of the land and the sky move through the people and are processed in the human imagination. I think this is also why we find if you study symbols, you'll find the same shapes, one continent to the next, to the next, because some force is saying the same thing. So that that's my experience. So that's the kind of the understanding that I've come to with that. I don't know, Fred, if you have a, a different view. No, no, I totally agree. Um, and, um, you know, those are the those are the information why humanity evolved and have the same creation in the mm -hmm. same timeline because the stars and the Earth relationship, despite of your local locality, it has yeah. a bigger picture to inform the creation mm -hmm. itself. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, That's so true. therefore, yeah. So you'll find if you study uh, the traditions or symbols and stuff like that. And your people will find Taoist symbol in the mm -hmm. in the um, South American tradition. Yes, yeah, yeah, all all over, yeah. You know, and I'm thinking also this is something that's important for everybody. Um, Fred, you and I were talking about the emptying out versus the being filled with the world. One of the things that every tradition says about humans, and particularly for modern humans, the thing we do need to empty ourselves of is our internal dialogue. The way we're talking to ourselves and thinking and judging and measuring, and there's this voice inside us. And the Yaquis in central Mexico say, if you can turn off that internal dialogue, everything is possible. Yeah. And so of all the traditions that we have access to, some some traditions resonate better with some people and others with other people. It doesn't really matter. Whatever gets us in touch with the world, the energy, and the, the rest of ourselves, not that internal dialogue, which keeps us glued to the ego, a different experience, different information that our awareness picks up, whatever gets us to that is fabulous for us that would be my prescription this is what yeah. we've been calling i think the uh, universal spiritual language right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. something that's all common in all religions beliefs yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so how do you do that how do you turn off <laughs> the constant chatter well, the Yaki say a habit needs all of its patterns in order to operate. So the to break a habit, you just have to remove one of its parts. And the part we can remove, if you hear yourself, yada, 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 judging, measuring, judging yourself, identify the voice, but don't follow its instruction. So if you're working away at your desk and your inner critic is trying to take you down, Take a breath, say, ah, that's the voice of the inner critic. It's telling me I'm doing a bad job um, and toss that and go back to work. Stop believing it. And if you're persistent and consistent, it will shift. Of course, the other way are these simple exercises in nature, because that also does the trick. So you're you're removing the part where you allow your awareness to be captured by the by that inner voice. So that that's very simple, one way everybody can do it. Oh, I like that. Um, Marty, can you share a little bit more about your personal, if you have any beliefs? Oh, mm -hmm. did you hear me? I think I lost. I did. Yes, you're asking, uh, I lost you for a second, but you're asking about my day-to-day -day practices. Yeah, do you have any routine? or uh, something that your know, personal life and your work or you merge them or you know, yeah. well you know it's it's interesting um the more the more levels of initiation i gain and the more i teach because my teaching is my learning the more i'm realizing that all of the western ways of i i must do this every day and i must practice this every day and so on and so forth um, those actually end up um, 
rigidifying a lot of people. And so I, my practice is to remember that the universe is flowing through me and I am the speech of the earth and the stars. And so my practice is to listen. And if the earth says, okay, you can sleep in today, then I sleep in. If the earth says, this is going to be an amazing conversation and it's worth getting up at six in the morning, I'm going to do that. <laughs> and I have a lot of tasks because I have a lot of students and a lot of things to organize like everybody. Uh, but I don't make myself do a task at a certain time because I might not have the connectivity to get it done efficiently. So it's on a kind of um, floating map, but I listen to the forces moving through me and I get things done when they get done. And so even the shrine that I have, I have a, a an extraordinary seven trunked tree here where the big shrine is and and yes, I do certain ceremonies for special occasions, things like that. But um, the shrine lives in my heart. And if I say I have to go to the shrine and do this, I end up doing instead of being the wisdom that has been transmitted to me. And so my way is to be the wisdom, to be alive, to be fully human, to be in my full experience and not just try to be happy at the at the peak of the wavelength of life, but know the full wavelength and if life carries me into a trough to really learn down there and then use that momentum to reach another peak but spend a lot of time in the middle ground because the sacred speech is the speech of us alive and connected and caring that is the most sacred thing we can do so that's my practice i love how you said that you learn while you teach mm. that's I, I really, I, I, I think that's that has a very deep meaning because uh, way, the way you have students, you, you are still a student, but you're also somebody's master, but mm -hmm. you're still learning. So it's it's like a back and forth. It's similar to what Fred mentioned in the regarding of the Tao, that mm -hmm. there is a point when you don't talk about the Tao. Is that correct, Fred? There's there's uh, there's a certain point. Yeah, there. well, the first uh, sentence in the Tao Te Ching says, "The Tao that you can talk is not the Tao." Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because with language name and make things a thing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But it's not yeah. a thing. It's not material. So mm -hmm. it's sensing. And, and difficult to explain, so don't explain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And in, in South America, they will always ask the Western people, are you looking for a definition or the actual experience? Okay. So the same understanding. Yeah, it's very, very important. Very important. Yeah. Oh, I, I just, I'm just fascinated by this conversation, but I think it's time for us to sort of close this conversation. So first, I'm going to ask Fred for uh, maybe some concluding words for our audience. And then I'm going to ask Marty if it's possible to end the podcast with a blessing or a prayer um, from you, something that the audience would be able to receive when they are listening to this. Is is this something that's possible? Yeah. 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 Perfect. Yeah. Fred. Yes. A language are created by shared experience. So we call it green and you have a shared experience and you can call it green. But after creating language and building conceptual structures and belief system, we actually got detached from the direct experience of sharing. So in the age of awakening towards this well-being era, we have to get back into sensing and have a new language of shared experience uh, so that we can communicate uh, and construct from there again. So it's like a cycle of rebirth for humanity. It's almost maybe this is the end of the Mayan calendar and the rebirth coming from a new awakening and hence new share experience and therefore new language 
a new construction of creativity. Thank you. Thank you, Fred. So <laughs> Marty, yes. please. Yes. All right. I have my Mesa here. Oh, okay. What is that? Can you explain it to our audience? Um, this is uh, one of my mesas. This is a medicine bundle that is earned in the South American traditions. Um, this one is my crystal mesa. So these are earned uh, through uh, transmissions and training and um, and the exercise of the knowledge, exercising it, using it in service until we become it. So this bundle connects all of us in this moment, connects all of us across the airwaves in Zoom. It connects us to all the lands where we are all born. It connects us to the rivers and the mountains and the stars under whose protection we were born. And on some continents, the animal allies under whose protection we were born. And for blessing for all of us, this conversation, this exchange is a blessing. And everyone who listens to this is involved in this blessing and giving and receiving this blessing for blessings surely are both given and received and will awaken the world. I call on the heart of Pachamama, the mother earth of ours here where I live here where I was born. And I call on all the powers of this beautiful earth, giving life, giving life, giving life force to everyone who is searching to awaken, to those even who have forgotten about awakening. I call on the great mountains. I call on Senior Mawayani, Pampawaya de Alankai. I call on Great St. Elias. I call on Apu San Diego. I call on the great peaks in the Himalayas and in Africa. And I call on the old gods of the north, the old gods of the north and the old gods of the south and all the forces of the planet from all the directions, sunrise to sunset, what lies above, what lies below to come into this space. Every moment this conversation is listened to, is reviewed, renewed, to renew our hearts, to renew the light that we are. And may the light of this conversation, this beautiful exchange of hearts and desire and love, may the light of this exchange spread through the world, through all our listeners, to those they know and love, to those they know and love to infinite light around the world. May we be blessed in this way. May this exchange continue and grow us. Ayaya. Beautiful, thank you. That was beautiful. What, what a compelling note to conclude on. Thank you so much, Marty. My honor, thank you. Mm -hmm. So we will close this conversation. Thank you for being our guest. I am Nora Cesar with our hosts Irvin Laszlo and Frederick Tsao, thanking today's very, very special guest, Marty Spiegelman, and our worldwide audience, as well as our wonderful production team, which I'm so happy to be a part of, led by Kenichi Sugihara, Tai Suki, and those many others at Octave Institute and the Laszlo Institute. From whatever nation state or emotional state you might be in, this is the place to tune in. We invite you to join us for more episodes of Donovan Era of Wellbeing podcast, as well as to give the book Donovan Era of Wellbeing as a gift to yourself or for a loved one. It is a true companion for these challenging times. The bravado of our ego has historically gotten the better of us. So remember, this time when building that new paradigm for humankind, let's include humankindness. Stay tuned and stay attuned. Thank you for listening. Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing is a co-production of the Laszlo Institute of New Paradigm Research, the Octave Institute, and Select Books Publishers. Our theme music is Chimera by Biba Dupont. For more information about Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing, please visit our website at www.thelasloinstitute.com. 
if you enjoy our program, please remember to subscribe to us on your podcast service. And if you are using Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating to help other listeners learn about our show. See you next time.